0: Welcome to the Spiritual Fit Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Holly Joy McCabe, and my biggest passion and goal in life is to help people optimize their mental, physical, and spiritual health to live badass and holistically healthy lives. If you want a truly multidimensional approach to your health and fitness, and you're eager to learn vital tools to help you along your journey, this is the podcast for you. Alright friends, today's guest is an incredible friend, um, teacher, healer, leader, industry expert who I could just talk to for hours she has so much information and I love she has the most like humble spirit to her despite the fact that she's like a genius in so many topics Um, especially in trauma and we talk about everything from the use of psychedelics to in healing to trauma to simple ways to regulate your nervous system and why that matters in health and healing so get cozy and I hope you love today's episode as much as I did Bodhi, welcome to the show. I am, like, thrilled to death to have you on here. I know you have so many incredible things to
1: share with your own story and your own gifts. So, welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, I typically kind of just always ask, you know, whoever's on the show to sort of dive right in with their story, with kind of what led them to be in the position that they are Um, to be passionate about the things they're so passionate about. And I would love to kind of just give the audience a little bit of a backstory on your life and your sort of path to energy medicine and all of the things that you do in the therapy world today.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah. So um, it really started with my own healing journey um, when I was about 19. I was uh, severely traumatized. I didn't know what trauma was though. So I didn't really know what was wrong with me, but I knew I was really shut down. I didn't want to live. And I had some kind of amazing experiences kind of on accident um, because at that point in my life, I've kind of grown up with this uh, Nancy Reagan's kind of just say no to everything as far as drugs and stuff like that were concerned. And because I was feeling so not caring, if I, I didn't care if I lived at that point, I um, had been offered some LSD. And I took it and it did something to me that I can only describe as a spiritual experience. Um, and from that moment on, having had that experience, I went on this journey to figure out what the heck happened to me, because right after that, I was no longer shut down. I felt meaning to my life. I felt like I wanted to be here and um, nothing else had worked. I had been in traditional therapy. I had been on medication. I had done all kinds of everything that the mainstream medical system says to do. And um, as I started to kind of look for, um, I didn't even have a framework for understanding what had happened to me. Like I said, I didn't understand what trauma was. I, I like most people, kind of thought that trauma was um just when you're in war or have a terrible accident, you know, I had no idea that psychological things that happen to you or even just normal things in your everyday life that you can't process are trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, at that point, I was just kind of looking for a framework to understand the experience that I'd had. And I started studying um, the people who had kind of been doing the studies on psychedelics back in, the 60s, um, and that was Ram Das and uh, Timothy Leary, and when I came across Ram Dass, um, I found his book, uh, Be Here Now, and as I was reading that book, things started really clicking for me that maybe this was the direction that I needed to go because those experiences that he had very much matched the kinds of experiences that I had had and um, And that led me to actually change my major. I was a broadcasting major in college, and I switched majors to philosophy and religious studies in order to learn more about these eastern religions and That was kind of where it started. But then, as I delved more into the Eastern religions, I started looking at Eastern culture and Eastern medicine and the way that they think about how we come across life you know and and that led me to energy medicine. And so I was, I kind of made my way through that. And then I was a Reiki healer for a while and became a Reiki master and a teacher. And I started finding that I would get to a place with my clients that I couldn't get past. Um, And what that was, looking back on it, was I was hitting their trauma, but I didn't know how to help them with it, with just Mm -hmm. the Reiki. And I didn't feel um, like I had enough experience to say or i even know what i was dealing with to actually do anything about it so i decided to actually go into counseling um, so that i could learn more about how to really really help my clients and so i got my master's degree in counseling and i happened just very serendipitously to um, end up at a university that had one woman who was an energy medicine psychologist and she became my advisor and so I was trained at the graduate level in things like EFT which is the emotional freedom technique working with the tapping points on um, different parts of your skin which are acupressure points from the Chinese medicine um, framework and also we worked with uh, Donna Eden's energy medicine and I learned so much about just the subtle body and energy body and I knew Quite a bit about it from just working with Reiki because we were, you know, learning about the chakras, which is kind of the Indian Vedic um, framework for understanding the energy body. But the, these medicines, um, like the energy psychology and the energy medicine, very much at least what I learned in that graduate program was very weighted in the Chinese medicine framework of um, energy. And so I started there, working more, profe- you know, more in a what people would consider professional terms as a therapist, and started working with those. And then also because of the Eastern religion aspect of my training um, in undergrad, I had started really I focused in on Buddhism and specifically Tibetan Buddhism, and I had learned a lot about vipassana, about mindfulness, um, and the importance of you know, chanting and mindfulness and meditation and these kind of things to work with your mind. And ultimately, you know, paired with the original experience of having that kind of life-changing, life-altering experience to begin with, um, with the LSD, I ended up working my way into, um, you know, understanding how to continue to maintain a good state of mind and um, and heal my trauma through these types of um, these types of frameworks and so that is kind of how my professional life went and then I, I ended up working in you know traditional kind of counseling settings in agencies working with people who are in poverty um, and introducing these kind of things to them, which were completely outside of their framework. And it was super helpful for many of them to just get present. But what I realized in that environment is that these people were traumatized. And I started really noticing that there was something so much more going on um, as far as what their physiology was doing that was way well beyond what I could help them Understand just by regular talk therapy or even with the energy medicine, there still seemed to be something that i wasn 't getting and so I really started digging into um, somatic practices, and so that in somatic meaning body um, practices. Things like Peter Levine's Somatic Experiencing Um, and then following that, I learned about the Polyvagal Theory by Stephen Porges and that really gave me a framework for understanding how our actual issues land in our tissues, so to speak, and that how I can use this mixture of mindfulness, energy medicine, and the work that I understand about the physiology of the body and how the body responds to trauma in kind of the work that I do now. And so now I have this, you know, uh, kind of cluster of tools that I use for my personal therapy um, that I work with. And then my, what is really interesting is that we've had this renaissance of uh, research in psychedelics. And then a couple of years ago with Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, it became really mainstream, you know, the benefits of, different types of psychedelics for healing and especially healing trauma and the plasticity of the brain and like kind of reworking the initial wiring that got kind of messed up with your initial traumas. And so my long-term goal as the therapist is to become one of the first people here on the East Coast to be able to do that as a therapist, to be able to hold space for people with the psychedelics Um, and they're training people now and as it becomes legal, then um, I'm going to work my way into that, into that practice. So I see that maybe in the next 10 years. Yeah. Wow.
0: Wow. I love, love, love hearing people's stories and just kind of their path and evolution. And it's, it's funny because sometimes when we meet either, you know, new colleagues or peers or new clients, it's, there's kind of this perception of this has just always been us, you know, it was just, we picked this path and we go into it. And so it's always, amazing to hear the different pieces and how long a career and kind of a purpose trickles into place with so many different moving parts from our own experiences to you know we study this and then it's typically we hit a wall or we see a void and we're like okay well this is this is awesome but there's something else missing there's something else missing um that was very much my experience with starting with fitness and then i was like no nutrition and nutrients are everything and then i was like no the body you know when i went into the healing arts, the somatic body just blew my mind. I was like, what emotions get stuck in your body, you know, it's right. (laughs) It's such an evolution. So it's, it's always awesome to hear other people's stories and kind of, you know, how that process evolves. Um, I want to circle back, I love that you, you know, started with Reiki, and then, you know, moving more to that physical body, because that was where my biggest passion for trauma work, like, literally, I remember sitting down, at the natural health Institute that I went to um, the first day in somatic healing. And I was like, what? I I just remember my mind being blown with again, the concept that these emotions and stuff get stuck in our bodies and that it affects our tension and everything else, because my training was all the muscles are separate, you know, these entire separate systems. But as Mm -hmm. we know, and we evolve, we know everything's interconnected. So with the, the Reiki and the EFT, I would love mm-hmm. you to kind of expand on maybe EFT specifically um, because that's a, a tool, probably one of my favorite tools um, in my own personal healing and then what I use with my clients and stuff. I just think it's so incredibly transformational and powerful. Um, I would love you to kind of break that down and how that can address the somatic body because this is one of the, the modalities that people can do themselves. So I think it's probably something that warrants a little bit of diving in deeper too, and hearing your explanation on exactly how it works. Like how does tapping on certain points in your body release emotions or traumas?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love the EFT. I've seen so many um, just really amazing shifts for people using this framework. And so, um, you know, it starts out that it's coming from a Chinese framework of working with the Meridian system. And so for those of you who are not you know, familiar, the meridian system is basically like rivers or lines of energy that run through the entire body. And most people have them in basically the same place in the same way that we have our organs basically in the same place. And so there are places on everyone's body where these meridian lines begin and where they end. And these have been studied for at least 5,000 years in Chinese medicine. So they're well aware of like where these points are. And what we've found is that when you have a negative belief or a maladaptive memory or a maladaptive um, belief about yourself or life, um, it causes almost like um, a clog in your energy flow. And so you can think about that, like for example, if you have a water hose that wants to put water through it, but if there's a clog or a kink in it, if you grab the end of the water hose and kind of shake it, it will knock the kink out or shove the clog through. And basically, when we're tapping on these ends points of these meridians, we're sending kinetic energy down through this subtle energy line, and it will kind of take the kink out. And so what we do with EFT is we bring up um, emotions or feelings or thoughts um, that we have and try to bring that emotion all the way up to the surface so that you can feel it. And that's why we're doing the talking while we're doing the tapping, and we tap on eight main points. And because we don't know exactly where you stored it, in which meridian line that that maladaptive belief or that maladaptive feeling um, stored. So while you're talking about it, you just keep tapping each of the eight points. And basically with the newer model, because it's kind of evolved over time since I uh, started in grad school, but with the newer model, um, which is based on um, kind of, focusing on, you focus on the negative belief first and you kind of tap through a few times focusing on that. And then you start to shift that belief while you continue tapping and, t- and then start to talk about what you want there instead. So you start with the negative thoughts or the negative emotions, for example, fear, you know, when you talk about the fear, talk about everything that you can about it, really let yourself feel it. And you're honoring, in a, in a certain way, what's powerful about that is that you're honoring your actual feelings because a lot of times, especially in the energy healing um, modality, you know, that a lot of times the people that are there are so ingrained in this kind of what you speak, you create, what you, you know, think about, you manifest kind of thought process that oftentimes they'll kind of spiritually bypass the negative feeling and not let themselves feel it fully. And then they never can let go of it because they can't actually honor and acknowledge that it's there and so i think a lot of the value of the eft for that purpose is that you're actually going into the feeling and allowing yourself to feel it fully and then as you tra- as you release that trapped energy through the tapping then you are able to then embed into your energy system a new more adaptive belief or thought about that and um, and it's incredible what, what we see, which it was actually really shocking for the person that came up with it to begin with, uh, Gary Craig. He was really shocked because he knew that it helped him with his emotions and shifting states of emotional states. But what he saw was that people were really actually healing physical problems, like things that had bothered them their whole entire life that they you know and in our culture we don't really think about that our emotions are actually affecting our physical body but in chinese culture that's exactly what they think they believe it starts with energy it moves into thought it in emotion and then it f- physically manifests as disease and so when they're doing the tapping and releasing these trapped emotions or these negative beliefs or these maladaptive memories then all of a sudden things like you know, autoimmune disease are healed, things like, um, you know, long time, you know, knee problems, just things that you wouldn't even think that had anything to do with the fact that you had this trauma earlier in your life or that you had this negative belief about yourself would have something to do with that. And so it became really, really a powerful tool that people started to use um, basically for everything now. Um, and there are some really cool um, free apps one of them is the tapping solution and this is by um, the Ortner's Um, and they on there you can get basically learn how to do the tapping and it gives you like a little video and then you can go through these free tapping scripts and, um, and it just shows you how to do it yourself and anybody can do it you don't have to even really be trained and um, now, as a therapist, I think it's good, you know, to get the certification so you really understand what you're doing, obviously. But like for any regular person, they can just learn how to do this. And um, and they just want the world to know that this is a possibility, that they can mm-hmm. control their own emotional states with this kind of um, work. So I would totally recommend anyone getting the Tapping Solution app and just kind of trying it out. Um, Mm -hmm. And then if they, and then what's cool about it is you, you follow the scripts, but then you learn that the real power is when you start using your own words. And once you've done it a few times, you kind of realize like how to do it. And then you start using your own personal words and thoughts. And that's when the really powerful healing starts to work. Mm. Yes.
0: Yes. I love it. I love, (laughs) I'm taking so many notes because I'm like, Oh, I want to talk on that point and that point and that point. (laughs) I love that you mentioned the spiritual bypassing part, because in the beginning of my journey, you know, like many people, I watched The Secret when it first came out. And at that point, I was in the music industry, bartending, you know, I had no concept of all these like success help, self-help books, you know, and theories. And so that was kind of a big shift for me was watching that movie and learning about the law of attraction and that, you know, your thoughts and your words create your reality, which of course, has merit, of course, quantum physics and all of that. There's a lot of science behind it. It can be very transformational. But I had actually reached a point right around the time that I entered into the healing arts, where something wasn't resonating with me, I was trying to just slap an affirmation on everything. And there was something intuitively inside me that was like, you're, it's not there's more to this, you know, there's a missing link. And Over the years, the kind of toxic positivity and this fear of speaking anything that's truth or reality-based, like Mm -hmm. I don't feel good or anything, like that's become such a big passion of mine and how I approach my own life and then also how I work with clients because, as you said, like you can only – it's like trying to put icing on a pile of steamy shit. (laughs) Yeah. It's like it's still there. So you can try to dress it up (laughs) all you want. But it's still what it is. And like the reality is life is highs and lows and good and bad, you know, and all of that. And the more we can learn to accept it and acknowledge it and speak how we're really feeling into existence, the better. And to me, it was around that point that I actually found EFT. And I remember the first time that I I watched a video and it talked about bringing up the negative emotion. It was like my whole body was like, yes, see, it's like it's okay to say I don't feel good or I'm – you know, feeling this kind of way or experiencing this. So I just love that you mentioned that part, because that is specifically why tapping from the minute that I learned about it resonated so deeply with me. And I think that in essence, that is one of the most powerful things is because, like you said, we're acknowledging the quote unquote negative feeling and experience. And when you do that, you're not just covering it up or suppressing it for it to continue to affect you on a somatic level, you're actually able to release it and then you just feel so much lighter and can move forward. So I, Mm -hmm. that is why I love it. And then the other thing is um, I also love that you talked about, you know, learning to use your own words. I always tell people like tapping is the first thing. If someone's like, Hey, you know, what can I do? I can't hire a therapist or I can't afford a, a program. It's always the first thing I point people to because there's so many free you know, apps and videos and stuff. But mm-hmm. one of the processes I do with my clients is actually help them develop their own unique script and learn to use their own words and everything. Because some people, it's really foreign. If you're conditioned to not voice your emotions or your feelings or told that it's bad or you're being negative, for some people, that's really, really foreign. They don't even know how to tap into it because they're so used to suppressing and ignoring it and kind of being invalidated by themselves and others. So I 100% agree that once you learn to really tap into your own words, then it just like becomes out of this world, like Mm -hmm. transformational. So,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's some value to tapping just every day. I I tell people it's like energetic hygiene, you know, it's like brushing your teeth, you know, if you go through your day and just go through the tapping points, you know, you're helping to clear and keep that energy moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and but and I've seen a lot of my clients when they do the scripts because they're not really connected to them. Um, that's not really their words or what they would say. And especially if we get to one, like a lot of people have a hard time with the very beginning one where you say, even though I feel this way, I love and accept myself completely. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they get to that point, they're like, okay, well, this is BS. You know, they're like, no, not doing it because (laughs) they don't believe that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we, when we, and, and once they've kind of shut down to it, then it doesn't work. It doesn't seem to work as well, at least in my experience. And so I help them to find words that are close to that, but that are that are more, you know, I, I'm willing to love myself yeah. unconditionally, or something like this, where they stay open to the process, right. and then they can kind of dig into what they're actually feeling. Because um so that's you know that's the value of learning that but I think the scripts are helpful um in the fact that it kind of gives you a framework or like a you know a way to look at it so that you can get deeper into it yourself but I tell people you know if they've tried it and they're like yeah that did not really work for me it's probably because they didn't tap into what they're actually feeling right right and I think it's kind of to the
0: same point the affirmations um is another thing that there's actually some research that I, I found a couple of years ago um, and I can't even remember what book this was in. Cause I read so many books, but he actually, they, they actually documented like the physiological changes when people were using affirmations and how it could negatively affect them. So again, mm. you know, there's a lot of people that'll talk about like just affirmation. If you just say I I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm rich all day long, eventually it'll happen. Well, there's a spectrum of frequency and emotions, and you can't go from being at the very bottom, say level zero on the emotional scale, to 1000. And funny. I think in the whole manifestation world, that happens a lot because people may be living in poverty and they're trying to manifest 10 million dollars. And again, it's like that's a million miles away. And so when you're using affirmations without the EFT, It can become even worse because your brain and your body and your subconscious is literally like, this is not true. And so it's like, you're telling yourself a lie and it, the, the way it impacts you on a physiological level was so profound. And again, it was one of those confirmation moments where I was like, that's intuitively what I knew was wrong about affirmations. And now there's like research to back it up. So I always tell people, I'm like, use affirmations 100%, like go the EFT route to like move that stuck energy, those kinks like you. Um, put it which I love that analogy by the way but start small you know like say I'm willing to look at something different or I'm willing to entertain change or whatever don't Mm -hmm. try to go from one extreme to the other because your body and your brain and every part of you will be like uh no yeah (laughs) exactly. stuck and like frustrated and they're like this stuff doesn't work like screw this this is this is all fake like I knew it wouldn't work and you just kind of create a self-fulfilling prophecy of this stuff doesn't work when you try to go too extreme Um, I always use even the fitness industry example of, you know, nobody comes in and hires me as a trainer and goes straight to trying to deadlift 300 pounds. Like it's a very progressive thing. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people are so desperate for change. They want that magic bullet. They want something to like overnight transform them, heal them, you know, take away all their problems. And like you mentioned, a lot of this stuff is daily hygiene. It took us 20, 30, 50, 60 years to build all this um, programming up and all this emotional stuck energy and everything. So it's like, it should be a daily practice. Like it's a, a daily evolving thing and it just continues to get better and better. So yeah, man, EFT, you guys, it's, it's the bomb mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. for sure. Um, so, okay. Okay. There's so many things that we could talk about. You're definitely a guest. So I'm going to be like, can you come on five more times? Cause I want to discuss so many things. <laughs> um, but let's move into, Oh, what, what topic do I want to go to next? Maybe just break down energy medicine as a whole, um, whether that's Reiki or other modalities that you love and kind of explain, maybe pretend that you're talking to the most skeptical science based, like, no, all that's just woo woo and way out there. Like, how would you explain it to them in the most um, kind of science based way of like, no, this isn't just a theory or an idea. Like this is legit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you can throw like research, you know, out and this kind of stuff, but I think what really hits people the most when I'm speaking to them about energy healing is that, you know, if you go to the doctor and you break your arm, the doctor can put a cast on it. But what's healing your body? It's your life force energy. And there's a difference between um, it's the energy in your body that's making everything heal. And then when you die, that doesn't happen anymore. So there's some life force energy that is noticeable to us. And we can see that in our own selves. And I think that that makes people that that is the kind of when when we can make that connection with people with their own personal experience, that there's something in you that is working to help you heal all the time. And when we're working with Reiki and when we're working with energy healing, <clears throat> that's we're working with that force. And, you know, I think, I don't think anybody has the market on what that actually is. You know, it just really depends on whether you're coming from, you know, a Chinese medicine framework or, a, a you know, Vedic framework or even, you know, they're all new age framework. You know, there are all different ways that you can talk about what this life force energy is. Um, in some place, you know, in the Vedic terms, they call it prana. In Chinese terms, they call it chi or qi, um, you know, and we're working with this basic life force energy that's creating us and, cre- and constantly working with us to help us to heal. And so when we're dealing with that and we're bringing that forward in our lives, um, I think that it, I think that the most powerful things that we can see are the ways that it works, you know, personally for us. Like I said, you know, when we see ourselves healing, you know, you can't um, describe that. And I think that there are probably some scientific ways that are easily described, um, but I think I think that you can definitely land that into people's minds as that this is actually the most pragmatic thing that this isn't woo-woo, this is what makes life, this is what makes us be, we see this healing happening. And so as we move into kind of energy healing, um, I think that the best thing is to help people to have an experience. (laughs) And so I'm hoping that you'll give me some framework of what you're hoping um, to know a little bit more about specific things with it. Yeah.
0: um I just think, you know, probably not so much maybe the audience that's listening to this show, but I always, a lot of times when people come to me, um, whether they've heard about, you know, that I work with trauma or whether it's just kind of the basic life coaching stuff that I do, a lot of times it's when they've been through so many other routes. They've tried traditional therapy. They've been on all these different medications. They've tried the paleo diet. They have went vegan. You know, they've done all of these different things and so they're they're kind of open to the idea that obviously there's something missing. There's some sort of something that's working against them. And it tends to make them, I guess, almost in desperation. They're like, whatever you say, like energy, cool, you know, <laughs> that must exist because clearly all this other, you know, superficial stuff isn't working. So I just kind of, I love to hear the way other practitioners and therapists sort of describe or, you know, explain the the concepts of there's so much beneath the surface. There's so much more than what you can physically see or what we've traditionally been thought about, you know, how to approach medicine or how to approach healing. And there's so many different beautiful, elegant ways that people describe and you know share their own experiences and stuff. Um so yeah, I just I love to hear the way that other people describe their own experiences and with their clients and patients of how do they I guess sometimes convince them. Um, but I think it also kind of comes down to, again, if someone has went through enough, um, challenges and tried enough things and they have not worked, there's almost this point where they're, they're just like, okay, whatever, like, let me try this. What can it hurt? And then when they have that experience, they're, they're kind of blown away. You can't deny it anymore. Is that your kind of experience
1: too? Is that sometimes there's some resistance, but there's an openness, um, yeah, and and oftentimes I'll you know start talking to them about kind of what what Western medicine is unfolding right now, and Western science is really unfolding right now, like quantum physics and what we do know about physics that there everything is energy at its base. Your body is made out of atoms, and so you are you are energy manifest. And people that are very scientific and kind of eh, you know maybe this is a bunch of hooey they they can kind of tap into that thought process, Mm -hmm. you know, of like, there's a quantum field that we know about that is interacting with us, and that our body is listening to that. And, you know, also, you know, I talked to him about the fact that, you know, in Eastern traditions, they've been studying this for way longer than Western medicine has been (laughs) studying the physical body, you know, Mm -hmm. and we, and they don't have that separation between mind and body in the same way that we do. And so there's a little bit of like reeducation and just kind of helping people to understand that, like it, it actually makes sense that first there's energy, then there's vibration, then there's manifestation into physical form. And if we start working at the energy level, then that will change things. It's like so much harder to change matter than it is to shift energy Mm -hmm. and that all of the things that we're doing in energy medicine is starting to shift that energy, which will shift the manifestation of your physical body or, and, you know, emotions kind of lie in that vibrational space, you know, between just pure energy and it's more manifest because it's based around thought and you know, um, it's, it's a little bit more manifest in a certain way. And so once we're working on the energy level, the emotional and vibrational level starts to shift, which starts to shift the physical level and people are, and people can kind of get on board with that in a certain way. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of take the same approach when sort of explaining to someone who again is in that place of desperation, but I put a lot of, um, There's so much power when people understand the why of things, Um, you know, like I tend to kind of be on the over thorough side. Sometimes people just want to be told what to do. But in my practice, I always like to explain to them why they're doing something, because I'm like, when you understand really what's operating beneath the surface and the mechanisms that are going into it, you're already shifting that belief of this can work. Um, And so I kind of have this polarity of I love the extreme science side like I just can't get enough of that and then I'm like the most Mm -hmm. intuitive airy fairy hippie that's like, the planet is telling me all I need to know. So it's like, I like to blend that and kind of present that. Um, And I I always point out to people, the same thing as you that you know, these ancient healing modalities, Eastern medicine has been around for 1000s and 1000s of years. And it's a science and it's an art and it's a philosophy mm-hmm. and a, a total approach. And modern westernized medicine is so new and it's also the third leading killer of people in the US. <laughs> it's like there's, right. you have to look at modern medicine has made incredible advances, but it's also compartmentalized the body into s- these tiny little minute pieces. And then it mm-hmm. wants to medicate or cut something out or numb something out you know like the approach of modern medicine when you really paint the picture of how it approaches healing and again the way it disconnects each part it it doesn't actually make sense when you actually kind of map it out for people they're like oh yeah that doesn't make sense because again we know even on an intuitive level that we tend to be born with organs because we probably need them you know modern medicine is like oh you don't need your gallbladder just take it out (laughs) It's like, wait a minute, why would I be born with that if I didn't need it? So there's so many different ways to kind of, you know, help it click with some people. But I think once they experience it or they see it and you can just sort of paint that picture, that shift, once it happens, I think it's just like a cascade. They're like, it's kind of like coming home because I think deep down inside, we know this, like this is innate inside us that our mind, body, soul are all connected. It's all energy. And so it just clicks. It just makes sense. And our bodies, I think, respond very um, celebratory to that. It's like, yes, you finally found something. You know, we're so glad that you're working on this component. So it's an awesome process to take people through for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I always tell my clients, you know, I, Western medicine's great if you've been in a car accident. You mm-hmm. know, don't come to me for Reiki or EFT right. if your arm's <laughs> falling off. Right, right. right. Um, you know, it's it's there. I think what's beautiful about what's happening um, in our culture, at least, is that, you know, the leading edge of Western medicine is now Eastern medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the the things that are that the top doctors are coming out with are things like mindfulness, things like, you know, and they're proving with the body chemistry, um, you know, how when we calm our minds down when we're able to be in the present in the moment, that we go into these you know, states of being that are more conducive to healing. You know? And so if, even if we're still looking at it from a body mechanics kind of perspective or a chemical kind of perspective, which is kind of the way that Western medicine has looked at our bodies so far, um, we can see that even if, you're, even if you're not talking about it from the terms of energy, you know, we can see changes in the brain when people are doing the tapping. Mm-hmm. We can see changes in the body chemistry when people are doing the tapping. And so, people don't have to think about it as, you know, energy. If they don't like that, if they don't feel like that, that's a smart way to do, or if that's kind of some kind of naive woo woo way to look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, we ha- there's enough research at this point where we can see that, you know, we're actually working with certain specific types of nerves when we're doing that. We're working with, you know, certain parts of our brain, moving ourselves out of the limbic system and into the frontal lobes when we're doing certain kind of movements in our body. So no matter, and I tell people, you know, just to put all of that aside and see what works for you, mm-hmm. you know, just set aside your doubt, you know, because I came from, you know, philosophy and religious studies before I moved into, Um, you know, the energy medicine piece and there you're, you have to prove with logic and with science, every single thing that comes out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. And so it took me for a, a while to get to the point where I could buy into the energy medicine, but what I saw happening in my personal experience when I started having Reiki, when I started getting into those deep kind of theta states of brain waves, when I started getting into, you know, the rest and digest part of my vagal system, you know, the Reiki healing helped with that. And so whether it's energy, or whether it's just purely physiological, either way you heal. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important part for people.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think, uh, again, I, I think intuitively, I kind of have those two extreme versions of myself that, I even actually was working with a a practitioner once and she had me walk through this practice of literally kind of separating myself into this very science-based, like research driven data person. And then this, again, like this very intuitive healer energy, mother earth kind of element. And she, she guided me through this practice of like literally holding each of those elements of myself in my hands and bringing them together. And it was so Mm -hmm. powerful because I realized early in my, my health and fitness career, you know, in the fitness industry, it's very male dominant. And I don't know if there's an industry that has more toxic masculine kind of aspects to it than like the world of extreme bodybuilding and sports that I was in. And so when I went from that and I I was very connected to just that extreme masculine energy, and then I started, you know, tapping into more of my intuitive side and learning about energy and the somatic body, there were a lot of attacks and there were a lot of, you know, sort of being ridiculed and made fun of and everything in that, that polarity. And so Mm -hmm. I've, I've since went back and I've realized I'm like, intuitively I believe things like just on an innate level, you know, again, I've seen that I've experienced, I know the magic of the universe and all these things exist, but I think my obsession with trying to prove it, it's, it's been good in my career because it's helped me study the science and be able to back certain things up. But it also Mm -hmm. kind of stemmed from like a fear of being attacked or being invalidated or being told I was a woo woo, crazy hippie chick. You know, those are things that I've been said. So I think that's where my personal like love affair for both, (laughs) both Mm -hmm. aspects comes from. Um, And I think a lot of that's also helped me realize that some people resist certain healing modalities or certain avenues of, you know, these different mechanisms because of people in their life and how they'll be perceived and how Mm -hmm. they'll be made fun of. Um, I even had a client the other day who was doing her her EFT and she said her daughter walked in and she was like, what are you doing? You're just tapping on your face, you know? So it's like, it's hard enough, I think, for some people to deal with their own internal skepticism. But then it's also like, nobody doubts you if you break your arm and you go to the hospital. No one says, well, you're crazy. But if you start exploring these other ideas, Of healing and you know, these different elements. I think some people have this subconscious fear that they're going to be made fun of, or it's not legit, or people are going to think they're crazy because people respond to them that way. That's that's been my experience. I've seen that with my clients dealing with that a lot. And again, my own story the more I got away from that extreme masculine driven fitness side, the better I felt about what I was doing. But there was a lot of resistance while I was in there, like, I was so paranoid that someone was going to think a certain way about me or think I wasn't smart enough or that I was just crazy. So it's an interesting dynamic when you start exploring healing on deeper layers and looking at people's blocks that like the Mm -hmm. fear of what other people are going to think of them is a big one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. You know, and I think about that with, with truth, you know, it always comes into a culture and is immediately, Looked at as crazy, mm-hmm. like any time it, anytime it, it tr- new truth is entered or truth itself is entered into a culture, you know, a lot of times the people that say it get killed in mm-hmm. in history, <laughs> and so it's like that fear is in all of us, you know, as a collective, that we will be ostracized from the group if we enter into something that's new and different. Um, even if, you know, other cultures have accepted this for a long, long time, Mm -hmm. it's very, very difficult to like put yourself, it's a, it's a very primal fear to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be kind of sent away from the fire circle, right. You know, out, out to the wolves. And so I totally understand that. And, um, you know, and, and like you said, though, you know, a lot of times my clients, they come to this type of work because they've tried everything else. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, they just kind of get over it at that point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to, I'm just going to see if this works, you know? Right. And, uh, and so, um, but yeah, I totally hear you on that. Yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> when you reach that point of desperation and you're willing
0: to try anything. And then the last thing that you tried tends to be the thing that transforms. Then you're on the other side and then you're like telling everybody else about it. And then like the truth is spreading and permeating. I mean, 10 years ago, when I first learned about Reiki and energy medicine and everything else, like it was not anything like what it is today. Like this current environment of, you know, from celebrities to influencers, like it wasn't even a conversation. Like it was like this small subset community that you studied it and you got it or you were not. And I feel like it's just, it's becoming so common knowledge. Um, like when a Paltrow, I know, I don't know much about her site, but I know she talks about a lot of things, very alternative medicine. And she's been the target of so many attacks, you know, from late night TV shows. Like she just constantly got made fun of because she was into things like yoni eggs and, you know, green juicing and and all of that. And so she really kind of got ostracized and made fun of in Hollywood because of all these things that she was studying and learning. Um, and it's you've got these trailblazers, though, that are, like you said, they're, it's changed their life. So they're like, well, you can make fun of me and you can doubt me and you can ostracize me all you want, but this is the truth. And she has a show now that literally talks about all these incredible modalities and she interviews these experts. And it's just, again, 10 years ago, you couldn't turn on Netflix and watch a show by a celebrity about um you know alternative energy healing modalities so it makes me really excited just to see again the collective kind of opening up to these things and i think the more we do the more people who have been transformed by it then it's just going to continue to permeate and be common language like it's mindfulness is like a household wor- word now and that was not the case 10
1: 15 years ago <laughs> yeah absolutely and it's so interesting too um you know i I've met people one of the modalities that is relatively new to me but um is very very prominent in trauma therapy is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing mm-hmm. and you know it looks like very woo woo you know it's like you're gonna think about your th- your trauma or the thing that happened to you that hurt you. And then you're going to follow somebody's fingers back and forth with your eyes. And somehow that's going to help you, you know, (laughs) and a lot of people see that like, Whoa, that's super woo woo. Yeah. And, um, but when they started using this technique, you know, it's actually working with the neurology of the brain. It's working with the different ways that we store memory. And honestly, I don't think that anybody has a market on exactly the, the function of it one hundred percent there's a lot of really interesting theories about it, but the fact is it works to the point where now the world health Organization the v a all of these major um, organizations that are saying ca- kind of deciding what medicine works, what medicine doesn 't work in as far as trauma and for the a uh, single incident you know kind of traumatic experience. this is kind of the gold standard right now for helping somebody heal it and no longer have those kind of PTSD or, um, you know, physiological responses and triggers like they used to have. It's pretty interesting. But it's funny because, you know, people who, you know, like people who've been in war, people who are so in that, you know, what you said, kind of environments where there's this almost toxic masculinity kind of thought process are being introduced to these things, because they're hurting so bad, and mm-hmm. it's changing their lives, even if they don't believe in it. And right. that's the that's the powerful part is like, you really don't have to believe in it, because it's actually working with, you know, aspects of yourself that you don't even have to know about, really, right? <laughs> it's right. just it still works, you know? Yeah. So it's pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's a great note to kind of summarize everything that we've talked about is that You know, again, I I explain that I love to explain things to my clients. I like to give them resources because I help. I think it helps them be more open. But when Mm -hmm. when it all comes down to it, if you get on my table and I go into still points through cranial sacral and somatic release, your body's going to (laughs) respond. You know, it's like it's going to respond differently with each individual person. But you don't have to believe anything. In fact sometimes the most skeptical people, skepticism is a defense mechanism. It's a layer of armoring and like, I can't believe in that. Cause then I'll just get, you know, let down or disappointed again. Sometimes the people that come in with the most resistance are the ones that literally just have like these huge releases and breakthroughs because they have tried so much and they have these like really rigid beliefs. But once you work with that neurology or that uh, physiology, the nervous system, the body responds, like you cannot control it. Um, So I think that that's kind of a, almost an ironic twist is that you can be skeptical all you want. My husband's a perfect example of that. I mean, he is a medical physicist. He is the most anti woo woo, anything that cannot be mathematically, you know, calculated and all of that. And he had the most profound release the very second that I went into still points on him when I did cranial sacral. And they, I mean, they didn't need data after that point. He's just like, what in the world just happened? Like my body was doing this thing. And then like I laughed uncontrollably and then I felt better afterwards. So it's like you can try to convince people, you know, you can share the the information and the knowledge and all that all day long. But at the end of the day, the body responds to what it's going to respond to, whether you believe in it or not. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that's where that's where I was going with the earlier conversation is just like, you know, getting people to set aside their doubt enough to just have an experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what really convinces people in my experience. Right. Is their personal like, oh, yeah, this is this is something for me. Um, And so do you think that we have time to talk about do you want to talk about the um, the trauma stuff today or do you want to? Yeah. I was going to ask. Where do you want to go?
0: I would love, um, I mean, we we definitely have about probably 15 minutes. So I think I would love for you to touch on and just sort of explain the polyvagal theory, what that is and kind of how you work with that and how that affects mental and physical health. um, And maybe just set the stage to kind of dive into the deeper trauma layers and stuff, maybe on the next time that we talk. But if you feel like you could summarize and explain that on sort of a basic level in that
1: time frame, yeah,
0: let's dive into that.
1: Um, well, that, this is um, a newer theory for me. I've been really diving into it the last couple of years because uh, like I said earlier, you know, I've just seen where the, the physiological issues that people have, you know, you really can't get at it with words, you know, mm-hmm. um, you can't really get at it with certain aspects. And so when Stephen Poor just came out with the polyvagal theory, it started really helping people understand the what happens to the body um, when we go into fight, flight, freeze, and then into normal safety mode in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about the polyvagal theory, the basis of it is the, the vagus nerve. And it's the 10th cranial nerve and it has... Um, it connects the front part of it, which is they call ventral connects to the top half of your body from your diaphragm up in the front. And then the back of it that comes behind the brainstem is the dorsal um, part of the vagus nerve, and it hooks back into your gut and everything kind of below your um, diaphragm. And when the vagal nerve is part of the autonomic nervous system, um, which means that it kind of works on its own, you don 't get to control it with your conscious mind, and um, it's the parasympathetic nervous system, which means it's, it is the rest and digest part um, of our body. so it makes when we the vagal nerve gets stimulated in a certain way, we will kind of go into this relaxation space. Or we can go into this relaxation space where our body does the healing it increases our immune system it does all of the digesting it does all the cleanup when it's in that space but it also goes on what they call high tone which is like ultimate break like the ultimate kind of slow down which is the freeze response where we have for example when we're traumatized we can get you know frozen or in immobilized and That's when the body decides that whatever just happened, I'm not going to be able to fight it. I'm not going to be able to run from it. I'm just going to shut down now to reserve my energy so that maybe I can not die. Mm -hmm. And so the vagus nerve is super complex. And I would love, I think probably for 15 minutes, I, I probably couldn't get into it like as much as I would love to, but I think we can kind of set it up for next time. Um, But when we're working with trauma, you know, it's so helpful for people to understand these aspects of our body that are working in the background, making decisions for us before we ever become conscious of it. Our body has decided this is a threat and it's either going to go into the sympathetic or like active nervous system, which is the fight, flight, um, or it's going to go into this kind of it's like putting on the brakes kind of parasympathetic nervous system it's going to relax or it's going to completely freeze and shut down and so we use that in that understanding of the polyvagal theory um, in trauma work to understand how the nervous system is working in our clients they can be at least partially shut down from decades of their lives if they had a very serious trauma which can lead to you know, depression, it can lead to all kinds of digestive issues in our clients, this kind of stuff. And so, um, and we help them learn how to kind of get their vagus system back online so that they feel like socially connecting because when the vagal system or the vagus nerve is working in its ventral or front um, space, then we're connecting with other humans and socializing and we're you know kind of relaxed and happy. And that's where we wanna help them to get back to if they've gotten shut down. And so working with the vagus nerve also helps so with being able to move out of the fight or flight state and back into the rest and relaxed state. And so there are all kinds of exercises that we do with our clients to help them just work their nervous system consciously. And the most important one we have manual override basically with our breath. And so we know that if we start taking long, deep, slow breaths into the belly, breathing in for a certain amount of time and then breathing out longer than you breathe in, that that automatically will cause us to go into that either rest and digest or come back up into the ventral connect back to humanity, connect back to each other kind of state of our nervous system. And so understanding that for um, therapists is super helpful because you can see this happening in your clients while they're talking or while they're going through something. Um, And you can kind of help them understand how to manually override the parts of them that want to sense danger, um, maybe when danger isn't there. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, The
0: the concept of you know, our body's getting stuck when I explain it to people. I always use the analogy of, you know, it's like getting in a high performance sports car, putting it in high gear, mashing the the accelerator and mashing the brake at the same time. Like you're just Mm. burning out, burning out. And there's no amount of, you know, turning the lights on and off or the windshield wipers or anything else that's going to affect that as long as that's stuck. And the polyvagal theory for me, it is a part of cranial sacral but like you you know it's it's something that's evolved and i think been brought to the front and center for so many therapists of different backgrounds um mm-hmm. and as you mentioned too it's like it's so complex but you can also reduce it to something very simple like a breath <laughs> you can work yes. on it without understanding all of the intricate you know complexities of it and the more I've dove into it the last couple of years for my own healing and stuff, like, it's amazing all the different, like, silly little things that you can do to actually help it and stimulate it. Um, mm-hmm. The breath, maybe, maybe elaborate on that. Like, if you were giving listeners, like, one thing, which this is also sort of what I always close with is I, I love people to give, you know, one or two tips, like, a takeaway of if you could implement something right now what would be the most powerful way to help kind of activate and stimulate that into that relaxation rest and digest phase that you're mentioning like what are I'll, whether you want to explain a certain breath or talk about maybe other um
1: tips and tricks to kind of facilitate that sure So, um, you know, when we're talking specifically about working with the vagus nerve, we know that there are certain things that we can do to kind of help your body more quickly come out of fight or flight, which would be usually experienced as anxiety or, um, aggression and into back into that rest and relaxation place where you can heal. Um, and so one of the things that you can do, which I love the Wim Hof, um, method Mm. for really engaging all of these aspects and so that's definitely something for people to look into Um, but cold exposure so even putting your body in really cold water or even just your face because it's connected to um, the vagal nerve like your throat your face your ears all of this is connected um, to the vagus nerve and so when you put the cold water you can just hold your breath and put it in there for like 15 seconds to 30 seconds and it will help reset that and help it relax and come out of that like fight or flight state um, so that's one kind of weird one but it's really useful even cold showers for at least a minute or two minutes you know and getting your body into that cold helps to reset that um, the second one, of course, the most important one I think that's most accessible, of course, is the breathing. And this is long, deep breaths um, and breathing out longer than you're breathing in. And what I tell my clients is that you have to do it for at least 90 seconds, if not three minutes, before it's really going to activate because once you've been activated into fight or flight, it shot off a ton of chemicals in your blood bloodstream. So it takes at least 90 seconds to three minutes for those chemicals to kind of clear the bloodstream. And so you keep the breath going until it helps that to clear. And then you're not creating more of the like cortisol and adrenaline by continuing the thoughts. So getting in the present moment connecting with your breath and breathing out longer than you're breathing in creates the opposite message to the brain that yes, I am safe right now. Because when we breathe like that naturally, it's because we're in a safe space. Mm -hmm. And the brain doesn't speak English. You can't tell it I'm not in danger. (laughs) If it has decided that you're in danger, it's shooting off adrenaline before you even know that that happened. Until you start feeling like you want to get up and run, or you feel like yelling at somebody, or you feel like shutting down or whatever Mm -hmm. and so when we speak to the body we can speak to it through breath because it understands that and so when we breathe that long out breath and the short shorter in breath but making those long um you know deep breaths into the belly then that tells the body oh there must not be a tiger in the room because she's breathing like this right now right and so it will start to like slow everything down because what it wants to do when it's activated like that is breathe short breaths up into the top of lungs so that it can oxygenate so you can run or fight Mm -hmm. and so that is the most effective I think is the breath Um, but again the cold therapy definitely helps to regulate that as well doing some kinds of massage like taking your your vagus nerve runs down kind of the area where your carotid artery is in that same kind of area in your neck And so you can take and and kind of massage up that space from your collarbone up to behind your ears and starting to massage that helps to relax. And you can feel that at any time, even just stroking behind your ears, not only activates um, and retones the vagus nerve, but it also, if you're looking in Chinese medicine, that's where your triple warmer meridian is, which is activated through the fight or flight system. Mm-hmm. And so if you're stroking behind the ears, it helps calm that whole thing down. Now, is it because of the energy or is it because of the vagus nerve? It doesn't matter. It still works. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, um, and so so we have those three for sure. And then, let me see. And then um, and the last thing that's kind of a funny one is if you imagine a lemon you can just take a few minutes and kind of imagine a lemon and your body will start producing saliva and if your body's producing saliva that is having that means that your vagus nerve is activated and you can actually fill the bottom part of your mouth with saliva and submerge your tongue and this will help your body go right into that uh rest and digest relaxation space and so that's kind of like a weird trick but it is it, it is very useful Man, I've never actually heard of
0: that one. Like, I I love when I learn new things. (laughs) Um, I've never heard of that technique, but it makes total logical sense with, you know, understanding how all these mechanisms work. Um, I actually use that as an explanation sometimes to tell people the power of the mind. You know, I'm like, visualize a lemon and you can almost taste it and your body will sort of produce that. But I didn't know it was a, a vagal nerve hack. How cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then the last one is one that we find um, in these ancient Eastern traditions, which is um, chanting or humming. Mm-hmm. You know, sing, singing also works. But what they found through research was that actually doing the word humming or chanting the word om works better than, for example, if you just chanted like the sound for some reason, because of the way that that vibrates in your head and in your sinuses and in your ears, it works really quickly to activate um, and tone the vagal nerve and the vagus nerve. And so chanting and activating your throat is a very, very uh, powerful way of relaxing. And that's why singing helps when you're feeling really bad. Right. I love it.
0: Um, I love all of these tips and tricks. I'm sure people are going to like hop on Google and start looking up all these little techniques and stuff. I will say that, um, you know, being a practitioner and stuff, it's funny how we have sort of our defaults that we go to. And I will fully admit that breath work was one of those things that like, I tend to be very, again, sort of masculine driven. I love the extremes. I love the big profound shifts and like these very tangible things. And like, admittedly, up until the last couple years ago, when I dove deeper and deeper into the polyvagal, you know, aspect of things, I would not have prioritized breath work like I would now. I was just like, yeah, well, yeah, breathe. Like, But it, take, it took just like this whole different layer of personal explana- exploration and study for me to be like. It seems so simple, but that doesn't make it not profound. Like it's literally the foundation of everything is like if we're not mm-hmm. breathing correctly, again, all these other tricks and tips and modalities and everything. It's kind of like you're building on a, an unstable foundation. And so breath work, I kind of laugh at myself when I realize sort of how I invalidated it. Um, I did the same Mm. with like walking. I was like, walking's not exercise. It's not extreme enough. And now like walking, I'm like, walking is like the Holy grail, like just get out (laughs) and move your body. So it's just funny to kind of see my own evolution in learning things that I thought were too simple to be powerful. And now I'm like, no, the simplest things actually can be the most powerful. And I loved the the example that you gave that like the brain doesn't speak English, like it doesn't care what you're telling it. Uh, And that's, you know, that in essence is anxiety is your body is having a physiological response to something past or present that you can't rationalize yourself out of. You can't say there's no reason to, to be anxious here. There's not a threat. It's like your body is what you have to communicate with. And, you know, as you, you put it, There's not a tiger in the room if you're breathing calmly. (laughs) And so that should Mm -hmm. be where people always start is like with that breath, with that breath. And I'm so glad that I have the deeper understanding of it now. Um, But I think I'm like, oh my gosh, if I had really given it the credit and the understanding that others did 15 years ago, I probably could have saved myself a lot of stress and trauma and anxiety. So the message is like, do not underestimate the power of these simple little daily practices and hygienes. Um, you know, as you said, three minutes when you're feeling in that stress state, that's all it takes. These little things add up and over time completely rewire these systems and
1: these responses to things. So it doesn't take Absolutely. much for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And one thing to just kind of tie the whole conversation together that I find really interesting is that, um, what they've realized about it in polyvagal theory and Porges's research and his, um, thought processes that basically everything that Buddhists were always doing meditation, breath, chanting, and also this aspect of having compassion and working on having compassion with others are all things that stimulate the vagus nerve. Mm. They're all things, and it's like, they knew that they didn't know. They maybe weren't talking about it in those terms, but they literally are all things that put your body into that specific place where you're not in fear anymore right right so I I just think that's super interesting
0: it is I think it's it is a beautiful summary because you know we've talked about the science and then just the belief and then just trying it and having a personal experience but what I find fascinating about all this is science will just continue to prove and evolve to confirm things that have been around for thousands of years so you can wait for the next hundred years to pass for you to get tangible proof or you can try it and you can trust the process and these ancient practices. And, you know, like you just mentioned, everything kind of ties together and the more you know, the more you see how it's all interconnected. You know, again, they weren't talking about polyvagal theory, but they knew these different things that kept the body in a calm, loving, healthy space. Um, So like, why not? (laughs) Why not venture into it? Our modern society is just like stress overload. So any practice that is rooted in peace and tranquility and groundedness. Like it's not, it's not going to hurt you to implement a little bit. And the science is evolving and and supporting it every single day. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. Oh, well, thank well this, you so much.
0: Yeah, this conversation has been awesome. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. Um, you know, implement little practices that they can start doing on their own, and then being open-minded to just all these different theories and the science and the experience of what's available for healing and transformation. Um, I can't wait to to hear what people think about the show, and then I would love to have you back on to dive deeper into you know my b- biggest area of. Of passion, which is the trauma and really connecting that and how the body holds it and everything else. So we'll definitely have you back on because that's a, a whole conversation in its entirety by itself. But thank you so much for sharing your story and all of your amazing knowledge. And
1: we will talk again soon. All right. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you all for listening. I hope you got some awesome, juicy tidbits to take away and implement in your own life. Make sure to check out everything that Bodhi does and connect with her. She's an incredible healer um, and therapist, and I'm definitely going to have her back. Um, I also want to offer you guys a special little discount code just for this episode, just for this week, which is 20 off to get 20% off anything you guys want at zeninabottle.biz, immune health, stress management, all the plant medicines, all the good, you know, healthy tools and get over there and save yourself some money and get yourself some zen.